Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, August the 11th, 2023. It is currently 9.33 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't, and, and someone out there should, should have foreseen what's getting ready to happen, and you should have already emailed me saying, don't do it. Don't do it. You don't need to do this right now. Wait. Delay. But nobody emailed me. Nobody warned me. So I blame all of you. You say, well, I didn't even know what was going to happen. I still blame you because you should have had the foresight. You should have just known, right? I just, I just, I blame you, even, even though maybe it's not reasonable. I'm still got, I have to blame someone because you never blame yourself, right? I mean, come on. Who blames themselves? I mean, that's ridiculous. You don't do that. But now what I'm getting ready to do, obviously I'm joking around, but what I'm getting ready to do is begin, it, it, it's going to be a brand new series. That's what this is going to be. It's going to be a brand new series, and I know I shouldn't start a new series. We've got the series with Jeremiah. We, we're supposed to be, you know, we're going to have to go on a full-blown sprint here at the end of August to try to finish Jeremiah because we're supposed to be done with Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations by the end of August. There, at, at this rate, we're not going to get there, but we're going to have to obviously increase episodes. And I, I don't know, I'm going to have to just start navigating how to get us from where we are to where we need to be. And and even if we don't get all the way there, I need to get us as close as possible. So I, I, I've got I've got that to finish. So we've got Jeremiah going on. If you've been paying attention, we're now once again working diligently on our ongoing series dealing with law and gospel. And then that doesn't obviously even count all the other things that we're always trying to do. But between Jeremiah and law and gospel, I mean, that's those are two full-time series in and of themselves. So why would I start another series? I mean, I, I, I know I shouldn't, but I feel that it's necessary. And I feel that it's actually necessary right now. You see, we've been doing this ongoing teaching on the proper distinction between law and gospel. And whenever you try to explain to people the proper distinction between law and gospel, and you try to say, this is law and this is the gospel, and the gospel has nothing to do with what we do. The gospel is all about what God has done for us in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that we are not saved by our righteousness or by an infused righteousness. We are saved by an imputed righteousness where the passive and active obedience of Christ and his perfection and his holiness is accredited to my account. And that the proof of my salvation is not what I do, can do, should do, stop doing. The proof of my salvation is found perfectly in what Christ did. And if some pastor says, here's the 10 things that prove that you're saved, I will be like, well, fine, MacArthur, Jonathan Edwards, Piper, whomever comes up with their list. Thank you for your list. I will take it into consideration. Okay, I've looked at it. Here's here's what I can say to your list. I fulfill all of that perfectly, not in what I do, 
but what Christ did. He fulfills your test perfectly because your test is law, 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 law. And the law was never meant to prove my salvation. The law was to show me my need for salvation. The law was not there for me to establish my own righteousness. The law was to show that I needed a righteousness outside of myself. So you give me law, the law condemns me, Christ fulfills the law for me. So any test you give me is fulfilled in Christ. Now, as soon as you start teaching this and explaining this, it's only a matter of time before someone is going to say, you're an antinomian. You're an antinomian. You, that's easy believism. That's a cheap grace. Oh, you're just, you're using the gospel as an excuse to sin and they're going to start accusing you and they're going to start attacking you as somehow that you are in the wrong. And I've, I've, I'm not the first one to say this and I will not be the last one to say this, but if you know you're preaching the gospel correctly when you're accused of being an antinomian, you know you're preaching the gospel correctly when you are accused of easy believism or cheap grace. Until you are accused of that, there's a great chance you're, you, you are not actually preaching the gospel. You're actually preaching the law. And we, so many churches say they're preaching the gospel, but it's all law. It's law, 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 law. And, but they'll tell you it's the gospel. It's law masquerading as the gospel. And guess what? It's not, it's, it's not the true gospel. And it's going to, it's just going to discourage, destroy, depress people, lead people to deconstruction because it's not going to, it's not, all they're going to do is place them under the burden of the law. And if they're even reasonably honest with themselves, they're going to say, woe is me. I am undone. Exactly what the law is supposed to do. Condemn you. It's not going to bring peace. Not going to be rest. It's not going to bring hope. It's not going to bring salvation. It's just going to constantly be giving you more demands that you're supposed to be doing to somehow prove that you are saved. But I'm I'm saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused. So whenever you teach this, people are going to accuse you of being an antinomian. So then I was like, well, then maybe, 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 since we've been preaching this so much and repeating it over and over and over about the gospel is apart from works and it's not what we do, it's what Christ did. And we've been really emphasizing that maybe, 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 maybe it's time to deal with an aspect that everyone always brings up. Okay, well, if we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, then what are we to do? What are we supposed to do? How then shall we live? And I thought, this is the perfect time. Even Jeremiah, we are looking at law, 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 and we've tried to address that law, law, law in Jeremiah by saying it, the only hope is the gospel, the new covenant uh, that that was going to be given to Israel. That that's the only we once again make it a, uh, realize that the that the law condemns the gospel is the only hope. So even there, someone could say all you keep emphasizing is what Christ does. How then shall we live? So I think it's time to talk about how then shall we live? And how do we understand how then shall we live from a gospel-minded perspective versus a law-based perspective? So I think it's time to introduce and talk about in depth 
forever how long this takes, a very important doctrine. And this doctrine is mentioned, and this is going to be our key verse for the series. There's two verses, our key passage. Now, this is not the passage most people would pick for this subject. I think people would pick a number of other of other scriptures, but I chose this one. There's a specific reason, but by reading this, we can introduce it. Are you ready? First Corinthians chapter one, verse thirty. Now, I want you to go to verse twenty nine because I think I really want to go way back and just work through this. I, I kind of want to work through the whole chapter, maybe at some point, maybe in this series we will. But let's go back to First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty nine. And because he, he, he gives these things that has happened, right? And then he says that no flesh should glory in his presence. God is working a situation out when it comes to the gospel and it comes to salvation that no flesh should glory in his presence. The entire gospel is set up that you cannot glory in his presence. You cannot boast. You cannot glory. You cannot brag. You cannot take credit. The entire thing is structured that you can't glory and you can't brag and you can't boast and you can't say, look at what I do and look at me and look at me. And it's no no situation where you can look to yourself or your works. No, no, no. The entire thing is set up for you to go, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, unclean hands. I'm a sinner. I'm condemned. I cannot keep the law. I will never keep the law. I cannot keep the law before I'm saved. And I and I cannot keep the law after I'm saved. I need a righteousness that is not mine. It comes from, from Christ and it's um, imputed to my account. It's accredited to me, meaning it's not infused inside of me. Therefore, I can't glory. I can't boast. Because it has nothing to do with me. It's all of what God has done for me and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I cannot glory. That's, that's a key concept. Now, here's the two verses. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. So in Christ Jesus. Listen, but, it, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us. Christ, if you are in Christ Jesus... Christ Jesus is made unto you. Here's what Christ is. He is wisdom. He is your wisdom. He is your, he is your righteousness. He is your sanctification and he is your redemption. Now, this is absolutely critical. Your righteousness. No, 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 no. It's. His righteousness imputed to you. So his righteousness becomes your righteousness, not based off what you do. Your righteousness is not determined as a Christian by what you do. It's determined by you being in Christ and his righteousness is accredited to your account by faith apart from works. It's a righteousness. It is a righteousness apart from works, apart from your works. He actually did the work. So by faith, you then obey the law, not in practice, but in Christ, who is your righteousness. He is your wisdom. But please note, he is your sanctification. He is your sanctification. I need you to write that down. Christ is your sanctification. So many times when people start talking about sanctification, 
They start talking about it and they immediately start describing it as a process, a process, a process, a process. But before we ever get to the process, I want you to know that Christ is your sanctification. So in some way, shape or form, sanctification is something that it is, it's done. It's Christ is your sanctification. There's an aspect of it that it is done. Whatever you want to talk about that is being done and whatever you want to talk about that will be done in the future, you have to start right here. Christ is your sanctification. Christ is your sanctification. He is your righteousness and he is your sanctification. And he is your, as it goes on to say, your redemption. Now, why would Christ be your wisdom? your righteousness, your sanctification, and your redemption. Why would he be all of these things? Look at verse 31. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Look, you have no grounds to glory in anything related to your salvation. Nothing. Because it has nothing to do with you, what you do, can do, should do, may do. It's all in Christ. He is your wisdom. He is your righteousness. He is your sanctification. He is your redemption. Glory in him. Do not boast. Now, with that passage, that introduces the subject that I feel we absolutely need to talk about in light of the ongoing study that we're doing on law and gospel where people may accuse us of being an antinomian. We need to talk about sanctification. We need to talk about sanctification. So that is what is what we're, well, that's what we're going to begin tonight. And over, I don't know how long, this is going to be one of those series where there's no really set ever an end time, right? There's never going to be really an end to this because anytime I come across anything dealing with sanctification, I will just record an episode and add it to this ongoing series, right? Oh, here's an article about sanctification. Oh, here's a sermon about sanctification. Let's review it. Whenever I come across anything about sanctification, we'll just add it to this series. It'll just be forever. This, Whenever you want to know and hear about things related to sanctification, this series will always be there. But we will do this. And so we're going to do this, obviously, in a very unique way. We're not going to be like most would say, we're going to talk about sanctification and then just do it in a very organized, you know, way. And here's the beginning and here's the end. We're going to do this in kind of like... We're going to be always talking about sanctification to some level. And the reason we have to always be talking about it is I believe the church so misunderstands it, so misrepresents it. And I think in many cases turns it into basically they use sanctification. Listen to me. They use the doctrine of sanctification as a Trojan horse to introduce law back into the gospel. Here's this beautiful thing called the gospel where you are set free from condemnation because you are saved not by what you do, but by what Christ has done. It's beautiful. It offers peace. It offers rest. And then the church will say, okay, there's your justification. Now let's talk about sanctification, right? You got to be sanctified. And then they'll, they add in law, 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 law. And then guess what they do? They got their sanctification over here. And then they'll say, hey, 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 not enough sanctification. Then you were never justified. So now your justification, I'm sorry, your sanctification. Now, they may not mean to do this, but the sanctification becomes really the basis 
of your justification. So they say, you're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. But wait, 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 wait. Don't get too comfortable in that. Don't feel so, oh, well, I believe in Christ. Now I'm declared righteous. No, 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 no. You better wait for it. You better wait for it. Because there's this thing called sanctification. And if you are not sanctified enough, that proves you were never justified. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought I was justified by an imputed righteousness. No, 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 no. The proof of imputed righteousness is supposedly in the minds of many Christians, practical sanctification. I don't know how, how, how you can look to practical sanctification to prove imputed righteousness. You would have to, you would have to say pra- sanctification proves infused righteousness, which is Roman Catholicism. But this is what the church does. Yes, you may be justified by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone, but you have to be sanctified. No real sanctification, no real justification. And then if you just follow the logic, meaning I must be sanctified to be justified. And they'll say, no, 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 no. It just means if you're justified, you will be sanctified. Okay. But then that would mean I can't be justified by an imputed righteousness because imputed righteousness is not going to bring about sanctification. It would be an infused righteousness that brings about sanctification, which is right back to Roman Catholicism. So which is it? And I will argue you're right. If I'm justified, I will be sanctified. But you know how I'm justified and you know how I'm sanctified? In Christ Jesus, because he is my sanctification. So on one aspect, you're right. Uh, but I am, I'm sanctified. How am I sanctified? And my position has nothing to do with my practice. But, but wait, wait, wait. But there's got to be something to do with our practice. Well, that's what we're going to try to get to. But that's why we have to talk about this. Because there's so much confusion. Right? So, we're going to talk about this because of our ongoing t- teaching of law and gospel, which everyone then worries that we're antinomian and we don't care about how we should live. So, we got to figure out how we should live. Another reason we're going to talk about this is because I believe the church constantly uses sanctification as the Trojan horse to bring the law back into justification, and that has to be stopped, it has to be called out, and it has to be exposed. Another reason we're going to do this series on sanctification is, I don't know, two or three days ago, I get a notification on one of my podcast apps from In Touch Ministries, the ministry of the late Dr. Charles Stanley. Guess what? They're currently using Dr. Stanley's old messages to do a series on sanctification. I'm like, oh, this is too perfect. So you know we're going to be reviewing some of that. And then... I got this at the beginning of the summer, summer 2023, Bible studies for life, adult personal study guide comes from Lifeway, right? The first part of the study for the summer of 2023 dealt with mentorship. I wasn't too super interested. I will go back and read it, but I wasn't super interested until I got to page 64, I got to page 64, and then this is what I found. Here is the, here's the heading. This is page actually 65. Page 64 is just says introduction. It's a photograph with a camera looking down at a sidewalk. On the sidewalk, there's all these chalk arrows pointing in all, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 chalk arrows pointing in different directions. And the, and the, the 
camera's pointing down. You see someone's feet. You see their, their shoes. And they're standing there looking at all of these arrows. Like, which way do I go? All right, that, that's the photograph. Then on page 65, it has the title here. Set apart a life lived for God. Wow, a life lived for God. Page 66 says, the emphasis in this study is on sanctification. What it means to live set apart in God and growing to be more like Christ. So, wait, I got the Charles Stanley thing going on in sanctification. I got the discipleship or the uh, Bible studies for life study guide talking about uh, sanctification. We're doing a study on law and gospel. And I think people accuse us of being antinomian or not worrying about how we should live. And I believe when we study law and gospel, we realize that the church has taken the doctrine of sanctification, turned it into a Trojan horse where they can then hide the law and then move it back into the gospel under the guise of sanctification. Hey, this is just the doctrine of sanctification. And then, and then try to once again, corrupt the gospel with the law. They try to corrupt justification with the law through the, through the idea of the doctrine of sanctification. And I think we have to look at how that occurs. So all of this all fits together. This all fits together with Jeremiah, where we're hearing, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And we have to keep answering it with the gospel, not with action, which once again, someone could be saying, you're an antinomian, easy believism, and a cheap grace. So we have to talk about this. But we obviously have to talk about this in a way that does not corrupt the gospel. So how do we talk about sanctification? How do we stop sanctification from being a Trojan horse in which people then hide the law under the guise of sanctification and then corrupt justification with the law? Because justification has nothing to do with the law, right? The law condemns us. We are justified apart from the works of the law because Christ fulfilled the law for us and his righteousness is imputed, not infused. How do we maintain the right doctrine of justification and handle sanctification and not turn it into a Trojan horse to infuse justification with the law? How do we do that? How do we do that? If you've got answers, well then, I'll wait for you to send me the answer so I can continue. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. All right. So let's do this really quick. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's start with a definition. All right. I mean, this is introduction time. I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you how this all fits together, right? On this podcast, I don't know if you listen to everything, so many times you'll start seeing how everything interconnects. And if you start connecting the dots, I think it sometimes makes this podcast, I hope it shows you the value of what we do here. Hopefully it, I hope it does. But there's a lot of, you know, we do a lot of content and a lot of times the content all starts fitting together. And when it does, I think it's awesome. And this is one of those situations where we can merge a lot of concepts together. But let's start because this is an introduction. We're going to be talking about sanctification. I've given you reasons why we're going to do so. Let's define it. Now, I could go to a lot of places to find the definition of sanctification, but we'll go to theopedia.com. Theopedia 
Sanctification.com. Here we go. Sanctification, or in its verbal form, sanctify, literally means to set apart for special use or purpose, that is to make holy or sacred. Now, back to the Bible Studies for Life study guide. Remember the name of the series? Set Apart, A Life Lived for God. Their definition, sanctify literally means set apart for special use or purpose, that is make holy or sacred. Now, here's the question before we even continue. Is there an aspect where God has set us apart It's past tense. It's done. We have been sanctified. We are sanctified. Now, we know in some way we are. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ is our sanctification, meaning this seems to be complete and done. So there is some aspect where it seems sanctification is done. Is there? So in some ways, we have been set apart. We are set apart in Christ. But then is there an aspect of where we are being set apart presently? There's a present tense. Is there a past tense? Is there a present tense? And then is there a future, ultimate, a future setting apart? Now, the past one, is that all Christ? The present one, how is the present one working? How does it work? And then the future one, how does that work? So is there a past, present, future tense of sanctification? You, one, in one sense, it's already done. On another sense, it's still being done and it will be done in the future. Is there a past, present, future tense of sanctification? And do you think that's always clearly articulated? Let's keep reading their definition from theopedia.com. Sanctification, or in its verbal form, sanctify, literally means to set apart for special use or purpose. That is to make holy or sacred. Therefore, now this is very important. Sanctification refers to the state or process of being set apart. Now this is where I would stop. They say it refers to the state or process. I think it refers to the state and process. It refers to both. The state is, I am saying, if I'm a Christian, I am sanctified. I have been set apart. There is a state in which I am set apart. Or we could say this. There is a positional aspect of sanctification. It's a positional uh, state of sanctified that is done. It is complete in Christ Jesus. There is a positional side and there is a progressive side where I am being sanctified. And then there's a permanent future state of which I will be completely sanctified. So I think there's, it's a state. There's the, we could call it the past state or the positional state, right? There's the positional state of being sanctified. And then there's the future state of being sanctified or the eternal state of being sanctified. There is the positional state. It's done. Are you sanctified? Perfectly in Christ Jesus. Christ is my sanctification. So if anyone says your sanctification proves your justification, I'd be like, well, 
then it's going to prove it every single time because Christ is my sanctification. Now, they say, no, no, the practical kind. Well, now they're trying to bring the law into justification and then they're corrupting the gospel. And that's the whole issue we've already discussed. So there's a positional state and there's an eternal state. There's a past and that past and future. Now the, the positional, or I'm sorry, the progressive one is the present state. So sanctification refers to a state or, and a process. So the, the state, it's, it's positional and it's finished and it's complete and it's done and it's perfect. And that's past. And then that will be the future positional state, the future eternal state, we'll call it. The progressive or the process of being set apart, that's right now. That's in the present. So they say sanctification refers to the state or process of being set apart, made holy. In systematic theology, the term often carries a technical meaning that differs from the biblical word group. Sanctification is regularly equated with the Christian life. In Wesleyan theology, it can refer to a moment of entire sanctification in which one one reaches a state of Christian perfection. We 1,000% reject the Wesleyan theology perspective. So let me make sure you understand that. In Wesleyan theology, it can refer to a moment of what they call entire sanctification in which a person reaches a state of Christian perfection. Anything that even looks like or feels like Wesleyan theology should be rejected. It is false. It is just practically not true. You, I mean, it can be proven easy because I've I've met a lot of people who hold to Wesleyan theology who talk about this entire sanctification and that you can reach a state of Christian perfection. And I'm like, okay, good. Have you done it? Well, no. Could you show me anyone your church has done it? Well, no. Okay, well, then just stop talking about it because no one has ever done it. The only perfect person, well, wasn't a person. He was true God. He was true God and true man. Uh, he was a person, but you get the idea. He wasn't a human being like us. He was, well, he was a human being like us, but he was also true God. True God, yet true man. Hypostatic union. I got to make sure I, I say that correctly or I end up sounding like a heretic. You get the idea. The hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man. But the point is, he was 100% God. All right, so unless you're 100% God and unless your sinful nature is completely eradicated, there's no way you're going to reach any kind of Christian perfectionism. So Wesleyan theology, we reject that perspective completely. All right. Um, Well, we'll go ahead and read this. They have a, t- a section here on progressive sanctification. Now, progressive, remember, we've got this positional sanctification that's past, it's done, it's complete. We got progressive or the process, which is present. And then I think we have a, a eternal state of sanctification, which will be perfect and will be complete. So they want to focus here on the progressive kind. Here's what they say. Indeed. The more sanctified the person is, the more conformed he is to the image of his Savior. The more he must recoil against every lack of conformity to the holiness of God. The deeper his apprehension of the majesty of God, the greater the intensity of his love to God. 
the more persistent his yearning for this attainment of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, the more conscious conscious will he be of the gravity of the sin that remains and the more point, uh, poignant will he be the, his detestation of it. Meaning, the more you supposedly grow, the more you progress in your sanctification, then the more you're going to be conscious of your sin. The more, the more you're committed to this, the more you're going to detest your sin. Uh, was this not the effects and all the people of God as they came into the closer proximity to the revelation of God's holiness? And this is from John Murray's book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Now, of course, they reference a book there uh, about how we should feel about sin and how we should detest it, the uh, detestation of it, that's the correct word, and uh, how this should all work. We can get into a discussion about that. There's no question we would want to grow closer and closer and closer to God. And obviously we know we haven't attained to sanctification perfectly in this life. So clearly if it's happening, it's progressive. And so we know we have this positional because in Christ I'm perfect. In Christ I'm sanctified. He is my sanctification. We know ultimately in the future, we will be set apart fully for God forever for eternity. So we know there's a past and future It's the present state where all the confusion comes in. So exactly how does this work? How does this work? And we got to make sure we're careful or we'll take the progressive, the process, the present kind of sanctification, turn it into a Trojan horse, and then basically fill it with law and then try to infiltrate and corrupt the gospel or justification with it. And that's what we have to be careful of. So they call that progressive sanctification. Then they have definitive sanctification and they give some Bible references here, right? They give a lot, all right? Leviticus 11.44, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. Now here's the problem. They call this definitive sanctification. Now what do they mean by definitive? They don't define it. Are you saying, are they saying that you as an individual, practically you, can consecrate yourself and you can be holy as God is holy. Now, if you believe you can meet that, if you believe that definitive sanctification can occur, well, I'm sorry, one, you're confusing law and gospel because you believe you can actually do that. You can't. Only Christ can do that. You can never do it. He has to do it for you. Not only that, for you to even come close to fulfilling uh, Leviticus 11.44, consecrate yourself and be holy as God is holy, that would require the eradication of the old nature. You're walking right back into Wesleyan theology and you're believing in Christian perfectionism. Entire sanctification. I reject that. Matthew 5.48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. They're saying that this is somehow attainable. It's not attainable. That is law. It's supposed to show you, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be holy. I'm supposed to be perfect. I can't do this. So I, I, I am already concerned that they would say, hey, this is a part of sanctification. That is not, those verses are not a part of sanctification. They are first and foremost. Well, if you want to connect them to sanctification, they're giving you a standard by which you cannot achieve. So all you can do is say, woe is me. I can't. In Christ, I am holy. In Christ, I am perfect. So Christ is my righteousness. Therefore, I'm justified and he is my sanctification in him. I'm entirely sanctified. 
Now, what does that mean for practice? Well, you can say, okay, that's what God desires for me and I can pursue it, but you don't, don't think you can ever reach it. You'll never get there. But then they quote 1 Corinthians 6, 11. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Please note, all past tense, all complete. You were washed. You were sanctified. Now, maybe the Greek there offers some ongoing and ongoing action, but it's done. On one hand, it is done. You are justified. You are sanctified, finished, complete. And how was that happened? Because you're in Christ. But they quote this here with these other passages. They don't offer any commentary here. So already you can see how this can become very confusing in the minds of many Christians. They go through all kinds of scriptures here, but almost all of them are law, 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 or they seem to point to possibly our positional sanctification, and they don't bother to to draw any distinction here. They don't bother to go, wait, there's a positional aspect and a practical aspect because Christians don't. They obliterate that. Just as they obliterate the distinction between law and gospel, they obliterate the distinction between our position and our practice. We will never be in practice what we are positionally because our position is based on what Christ did. Our practice is, well, we still have a sinful nature and we're going to fall short. And then that's it. They they don't explain any of these scriptures. They just have the progressive sanctification. They quote John Murray basically saying, you should become more like this and you should become more like this and you should become more like this and you should hate sin and you should do this and you should do this and you should do this and you should do this. It's all law, 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 law. And then they say, hey, here's definitive sanctification. And they give us law, 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 law. But then they throw in some passages that seem to imply, well, wait, we are. We are sanctified and they don't bother to articulate, well, wait a minute, am I sanctified or am I being sanctified? Is it a past action or is it a present process? Is it a, is it a present something that I'm presently progressing in? And how do I understand the present progressive process? And then they don't even mention the future one. So the article leaves us with not a lot and that's why we're going to talk about it. So. Here's what we're going to do. We are going to use a couple of things here. Obviously, I told you we're going to definitely hear how Charles Stanley approaches it. Now, we're not going to agree, but that's a good thing because you're going to get to hear his perspective and then my critique and analysis of it, right? So that means you'll get two perspectives. That's good. We're going to use the Bible study for life study guide, even though I'm not really happy the way they approach this subject. But guess what? That means you'll get another perspective and then you'll get my perspective. So you're going to be getting these counter perspectives. What we're going to do is we're going to take these perspectives, say, here's their hypotheses and we'll test it and we'll see where we end up. And it should be fun. So let's at least get the introduction here. From So, so Theopedia, I don't really know what they're trying to say there. They don't really... They don't really help me, right? They they understand it's a state, but they also understand it's a process. But they don't really, they kind of say it's state or process. And I said, it's, it's a state and it's a process. But they didn't really then articulate how the process takes place. 
And then they, they don't really deal, deal with what it means to be already sanctified in Christ. So they didn't really help us at all. If you read that, you don't have no real actual understanding of the doctrine. In fact, I think it's theologically a mess, right? So let's see how this study guide handles it. Page 65, Bible Studies for Life, Summer 2023. It is entitled, Set Apart a Life Lived for God. Would you not like, would you not like and desire to have a, that you live your life completely for God? Would you not like that to be true of you? I would like that to be true of me, that I could say, I live my life for God. Do you think you ever truly live your life for God? Do you honestly think you do? Now, some of you will be like, of course I do. And I'm going to be like, okay. I mean, if you, if you think you pull it off, I'm going to say you fall short and you live your life for yourself over and over and over. And a lot of times when you say you're living your life for God, you're really, you're living your life for yourself and you're just saying that you're living it for God. But let's see what they say. The greatest changes in history are happening right now in our time. The digital age has reconfigured our world. Things once thought unimaginable have come to pass forever altering our lives. It's estimated that our world has undergone only about 15% of the changes expected from the digital revolution. Wow. From the digital revolution, we've only undergone about 15% of the changes they say that are coming, meaning more changes are coming. People everywhere feel stretched and sometimes torn by the never-ending changes we are enduring. Many are okay. Many are tired as the digital age disorients and sometimes dehumanizes people. All right. Beleaguered, I guess, beleaguered, beleaguered. Okay, but they're tired of the changes that are happening, all right? And, and how it's dehumanizing us. How do we navigate all of this turmoil in such an ever-changing world? So that's the way they're, they're starting this discussion on sanctification, is that the world is changing. It's dehumanizing. We can't keep up with it. It's disorienting. It, it leaves us... Um, Beleaguer, be, it, I, I want to be able to say the word. It leaves us tired and exhausted. All right. They go on to say, followers of Christ recognize the signs of the times and understand that God has placed us here where we are for a reason. Right? I'm still trying to see how they're going to get us here. All right. We live at the tip of the spear between heaven and earth as a part of the kingdom of God and as citizens of earth. We are certainly in this world, but we need not to be of it. In the midst of our world's uncertainty, God has given us a sure word. He has called us to be his holy people. He wants us to live our lives in a way that is radically distinguished from the world around us, set apart with hope, wholeness, and holiness. Oh boy, here we go. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 
I know that's preached in churches all across the United States of America, and you probably hear it and say amen. But immediately, I would not say amen. I would be like, oh, me. If God wants me to be whole and holy, how am I ever going to be whole and holy? Here would be my first question. Can I ever truly be whole and holy when I have a sinful nature that is not gone? I obviously cannot be whole because I still have a sinful nature. Obviously, I cannot be holy because I still have a sinful nature. Therefore, in my very nature, I am unholy. All right, so already I would I would be saying, oh, me. I would be saying, woe is me. Already we have a problem, a, a, a big problem. Number two, you, those passages that would say, I don't know about the whole one, but the holy one. It comes from Leviticus, comes from Peter, comes from Matthew. Be ye perfect as your heavenly father is imperfect. Be ye holy as he is holy. Those scriptures are a law. They condemn you. They are not like, oh, I can. They're not given to show you that you can. They're given to show you that you can't. And so you, the holiness that these scriptures demand will never be met by what you do, but by what Christ did. And it's imputed to you. But they're reading this as like, hey, 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 hey. The world is changing. You're going to be tired. You're going to be disoriented. You're going to be bothered. You're going to be, you're, but guess what? You can't. Well, they're, they're going to say, you can do it. You can. And I'm going to say, you can't. You're only going to become more discouraged, more depressed, more weary because you can't do what they're telling you that you can't. They're giving the implication, the idea, the world is changing. And so what you need to do is you need to then live out your life like this. And they, the implication somehow is that you can't. Let's see what they go on to say. In this study, we will learn how to live our lives set apart in such a way that it brings good to us and glory to God. Now, immediately, how are we going to bring glory to God? By how we live. But then is that glorying in what we do? Now, they're going to say, no, 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 no. God is doing it through you. But if God is the one doing it through you and it's nothing, nothing we can take credit for, then should not God doing the work through us, be able to get me to sinless perfection. So what we say is God is doing the work, but we still can't get to sinless perfection. Well, why can't I get to sinless perfection if God's doing the work? Because isn't God all powerful? Well, then you then you come along and say, well, you can stop the work. Well, if I'm stopping the work, then I'm greater than God. This just raises all kinds of questions. And didn't we read in 1 Corinthians that it, Christ is my sanctification so that I can't glory? They're saying, no, 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 you need to, we're going to teach you how to do it. And if you do it, then you'll bring God glory. But isn't God glorified in the fact that I can't point to myself? I can point to Christ. Here's what they say. The emphasis in this study is on sanctification, what it means to live set apart in God and growing to be more like Christ. As our walk with Christ deepens, our lives increasingly point to Christ, the one who has set us apart. We live unashamed of who we are in Christ. They have six sessions they're going to want us to work on. Session one, set apart the holiness of God. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down these scriptures. I want you to write down these scriptures. All right. 
Psalm 99, verses 1 through 9. I want you to write down Psalm 99, verses 1 through 9. And I want you to just start reading it, meditating on it. Now they say, this, this deals with sanctification, this is set apart the holiness of God. Now, as you read Psalm 99, 1 through 9, you can think about, okay, how does this, what does this have to do with sanctification? How does it lead to sanctification? What is this trying to say? Second, set apart by Christ. So the first session is set apart the holiness of God, Psalm 99, 1 through 9. We'll work on that some way, somehow. Don't know exactly what we're going to do with that. Session number two, set apart by Christ, Romans 6, 5 through 14. That's that's interesting. Set apart by Christ. Is that going to be, are they going to get into the positional aspect of this? I don't know. Romans 6, 5 through 14. Write that down. Number three, session number three, set apart, but not alone. First Corinthians chapter two, verses six through 16. Now, I wish they would have went to first Corinthians chapter one, but they're, they skip that and go to first Corinthians chapter two. So maybe we'll have to do a little bit of work on first Corinthians chapter one and first Corinthians chapter two, and maybe a little bit in first Corinthians chapter three. Right? So session one, set apart the holiness of God, Psalm 99 verses one through nine. Session two, set apart by Christ, Romans six, five through 14. Session three, set apart, but not alone. First Corinthians chapter two, verses six through 16. Session four, set apart in the way we think. Romans chapter 12, verses one through five and nine through 13. Next, set apart in the way we live. Second John, verses one through nine. And then session six, set apart for the journey, Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Set apart the holiness of God, Psalm 99, 1 through 9. Set apart by Christ, Romans 6, 5 through 14. Set apart, but not alone, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Set apart in the way we think, Romans 12, 1 through 5 and 9 through 13. Set apart in the way we live, 2 John uh, verses 1 through 9. Set apart for the journey, Philippians 3, 12 through 21. That is what they want to do. And this is how they're going to deal with the idea of sanctification. I want you to start reading those passages, just reading them and meditating on them. Read them and meditating on them. All right? That's what I want you to do. That's simple. Also, if you want to participate, I want you to look up every verse in the Bible that you can find that uses these words. Sanctified, sanctified, sanctification, set apart, or be holy. Right? So look for all the verses that, that, that uses either sanctify, sanctified, sanctification. I got to probably get all three. Sanctify, sanctified, sanctification. Set apart and be holy. Sanctify, sanctified, sanctification. All right. Set apart, be holy. Now, some of those are phrases. You should still be able to find them. And the reason I want you to do that, I want you to find all those verses. I want you to read each one because then you'll get an idea of what the Bible's actually saying. And you may then realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, how does this actually work? 
And it may destroy everything you've ever been taught because so many times what you've been taught is individual sections of scripture utilized to put forth a presupposition. And again, I think over and over and over, sanctification as a doctrine becomes a Trojan horse where you infuse it with law and then you try to infiltrate the gospel with law, but you do so, or justification with law, but you do so under the disguise of sanctification. Those are the scriptures. Session one, set apart the holiness of God, Psalm 99, one through nine. Session two, set apart by Christ, Romans 6, five through 14. Session three, set apart, but not alone, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Session four, set apart in the way we think, Romans 12, one through five nine, and nine through 13. Session five, set apart in the way we live, 2 John uh, verse one through nine. And set apart for the journey, Philippians 3, 12 through 21. We need to really try to understand this, to understand it correctly. Because on one hand, we don't want to be accused of being an antinomian, quote unquote, easy believism, cheap grace, where people accuse us of, you so emphasize the gospel of grace, you don't care how people live. So how should we live? We want to understand a biblical way to approach that subject without making it once again a law-based idea that corrupts the gospel. We definitely want we definitely want to understand that. Second, we want to understand this concept, but we want to make sure that we don't turn it into a Trojan horse that once again takes the law, infiltrates the doctrine of justification with law, and then we turn justification into a law, a work of law, even though we claim that we're not doing so. We got to make sure we protect that. This is very important. It's very important because if you don't get sanctification right, you are going to lead people to never-ending doubt, despair, discouragement. Oh, let me do this. Let me do this. Hang on. Let me do this. Let me do this. Hang on. Let me do this. I should have already had it queued up because I had this all planned. Hang on, if I can get it. If I can find it. Uh, hang on, let me find it. 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 Okay, hang on, hang on. Give me one second. Give me one second. Hang on. All right, here we go. Hang on. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Do you know this word? Beleaguered. 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 Remember, they talked about us being beleaguered as the digital age disorients. Many are beleaguered. And remember, I, I, I was like, how do I say it? How do I say it? How do I say it? Now, here's the thing. Many of us will become beleaguered. Now I'm going to bring the word in. You're going to become beleaguered if sanctification is not handled correctly. Because the idea of being beleaguered is a very difficult situation. It is of a place surrounded by armed forces aiming to capture it or force surrender. 
If you don't get sanctification right, you're going to be beleaguered. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to find yourself in a very difficult situation and you're going to find yourself surrounded basically by law and you're going to surrender to a law-minded mindset. You are going to be so beleaguered that this is what will happen. The gospel itself will be surrounded by this armed force of sanctification, 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 and slowly, slowly but surely, your gospel will be so beleaguered that it surrenders, it surrenders itself to law. And guess what happens? If your sanctification is, hey, 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 sanctification, be holy as God is holy. Sanctification, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Sanctification, love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. If that becomes like, this is what you have to do to be sanctified, (laughs) you're going to be beleaguered. You're going to be surrounded by all of these laws and you're going to surrender to despair. You're going to surrender to discouragement and you're going to say this Christianity doesn't work because guess what? You're never going to do it. And guess what it requires of you if that's the standard for sanctification? It requires that you never mess up. It means that you can never mess up because that would prove that you're not holy, that you're not perfect, that you don't love God. It means that you can't do this. You can't be reading something like this. People everywhere feel stretched and sometimes torn by the never-ending changes we are enduring. Many are beleaguered as the digital age disorients and sometimes dehumanizes people. All right, you can't do this. Many are beleaguered, 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 beleaguered. You can't say it incorrectly. You have to get it perfect. Now, what we've done is we've created this weird thing about, okay, sanctification, you have to do it. I mean, I mean, but then we say, well, never, you're never going to be perfect at it. But then we'll take the imperfect, imperfect sanctification to somehow prove a perfect justification, which will never work. And if you're going to say sanctification is the, the verses you use for sanctification is be ye holy as God is holy, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Then that means how can, how can you ever measure your sanctification? If the standard is perfection, well, I'm becoming more and more perfect. I'm becoming more and more holy. How do you measure becoming more and more holy? Because you've, you've stopped doing a couple of external things. But what, what about your internal? Do you, do you judge your sanctification based off the external or the internal? It leaves you with more questions than anything. So we have to try to understand that by all means, we should pursue righteousness. I'm not saying we shouldn't. But I think what we have to understand is that sanctification, first and foremost, it's already done. It's completed in Christ. It will be ultimately completed in eternity. This present state is where everyone gets confused. And what we cannot do is allow someone to take the doctrine of sanctification, so turn it into a Trojan horse, fill it with law, and then infiltrate the, go- the gospel or, or justification. And I know I've repeated that now 15 times, but I want you to see, I messed up the word beleaguered once. 
Well, okay, maybe two times, maybe three times. I don't know exactly how many times that did it. I I was like, oh, oh, how do I say the word beleaguered? How do I say? And that's a perfect example. How many times do you mess up in your life? Do you before you go? Well, I don't. Am I being sanctified? Am I sanctified? How? What? Well, what? What does that do? Because if you're guilty of one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. Now, the, the big debate in many Christian circles is, is sanctification monergistic or synergistic? Is it a work of God or is it a work of us? Most say it's synergistic and we cooperate in the work. But then they'll turn around and say sanctification proves your justification. That's where the problem begins. I do believe that we are in a progressive state of hopefully growing as a Christian. I do believe we should pursue these things that God calls us to pursue. That's where people misunderstand. I never say we shouldn't pursue these things, but these things that we pursue cannot be used to prove my justification because my justification is based off what Christ did. So on one hand, whatever I'm pursuing, it's already been done for me in Christ. So why do I pursue it? That, that's, that's what we're going to have to talk about. There we go. That tells us why. Gives us a working definition. We bring in the past, the present, the positional, the practical, progressive, process, state, past, present, future. We, we co- covered all of that, right? We see how some of the articles even dealing with it are a little bit confounding and confusing. And some of the scriptures people try to use would be demanding perfection and we're not going to do so. We look to a we look to a study guide where the word beleaguered is used, and I used that word to demonstrate just one thing goes wrong. What does that What does that mean for your sanctification? Most of the time, we just say, "Well, nobody's going to be perfect." Well, then what does that mean for sanctification? We talked about how people use sanctification to basically corrupt justification. We talked about that. We gave you the sessions we're going to look at. We gave you the scriptures to look at, and then I give you a very clear, simple assignment. Look up every scripture that uses the word sanctification, sanctified, uh, sanctifying, uh, sanctified, sanctify, sanctifying, and sanctification, all right? All the different tenses, right? Okay. I, I think I said sanctified, sanctified, sanctification, and sanctifying, I think are the three I gave you. I think those are the three I gave you. Look up every variation. Look up set apart and look up be holy. Look up every scripture you can find for those and and write them down and look at them carefully. Ignore, don't try to interpret. Just look them, look at them over and over and over. I gave you all the scriptures for those, for the sessions that we're going to look at. Start reading those. If you'll do this, you'll start getting a more biblical-minded understanding of this doctrine instead of just having someone say, we're going to study sanctification. And you know all they're really doing is they took, uh, they got a systematic theology, they got some book on sanctification, they took a few notes, they modified it a little bit, and they're just teaching you someone's system. I'm going to use everyone else's system not to teach the system, but to give you the system as a hypothesis, and then we're going to spend all of our time testing all of these different systems to see what we come up with and what actually works and what actually actually makes no sense and what actually corrupts
the gospel. That's why we're going to take a very different approach, which we do with everything. All right. Silence in the chat is a bad, 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 bad sign. (laughs) That's a bad sign. It's 10.36 p.m. I've spent 63 minutes. I've already spent time in the in the past trying to get this introduction done. I don't know if it came together perfectly, but hopefully it serves as a good introduction and hopefully you'll pay attention to everything we do and participate because if you don't participate, I mean, you can sit around making dogmatic declarations about a doctrine and tell everyone how they're wrong or you can set aside your presuppositions, jump in with a Bible, a notebook and do some work and see what you come up with. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Just know this, no matter how hard you try to be sanctified, (laughs) you're always going to be in the process of sanctification. You're never going to be truly sanctified in practice. You, You have to know that. You have to know that. You've got to be hoping to, for something else because here's the way it works. God's law never, never grades on a curve. It demands perfection. And you can't even mess up a word like beleaguered or you will, <laughs> well, be once again guilty and a sinner. And you always will be. You're always going to be mispronouncing the word. You're always going to be doing something wrong. So how do you understand that in light of sanctification? We have to convince ourselves sometimes of something that I don't think is an accurate representation. You think beleaguered would be an easy word to say, right? Well, sometimes it's the, we always think of these big things. Oh, I don't want to do that wrong. And I don't want to do that wrong. Sometimes it's all the little saying beleaguered wrong that we sometimes refer to as our venial sins, but they continue to show just how far we are from God and how much we need something other than this practical righteousness. Not that we shouldn't pursue it, but we got to make sure we look at it correctly. All right, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.